your face Through tears of joy I lift my voice In everlasting praise Hallelujah Christ is risen from the
Ah. Uh -huh. 
Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Greetings. Uh, wonderful to be together as a church family and to all those uh, watching at home. Great to have you as well. We are one church family and thankful as we continue to pursue Christ together and honor him and lift him high and allow him to go to work in our lives. If you're here for the first time, you want to know a bit more about our church family, the best way to do that is to fill out one of these quarter flyers we call a welcome card and either give it to one of the ushers or put it in one of the back boxes and that way you'll get our Friday emails and a more thorough version of, of the things that I'm saying now. But greetings again. We always love having visitors and are glad you're here. All right, annual meeting. So this is the time of year given our church polity where members, we have high expectations of our members in this church. And so on May 23rd, that's a week from today, immediately following this service, we'll go right into our annual meeting. And this is important because we present the budget. We have two uh, wonderful elder nominees to put before you, the worship pastor candidate. So lots to vote on if you're a member. It's a very serious obligation. And those who'd rather uh, watch from home, it will be live streamed. Uh, we'll send out the password this upcoming Friday. But a week from today, the annual meeting, May 23rd. Along those lines, I'm very pleased that in a few moments you're going to hear from one of our elder nominees, uh, Sean Moorhead, that Sean's been a longtime member of Providence Church. I knew Sean even before I knew about Providence Church because of the impact he's had on so many uh, men in our city. And I think hearing his story, you'll be greatly encouraged. And again, he'll be on the ballot on the 23rd. And I, I know you'll be very, uh, again, lifted, lifted up in your faith by his testimony. Uh, women's dessert, this is coming up on Thursday the 27th, so women of all ages, we'd love to have you come to that, just as it sounds, time of Christ-centered fellowship, uh, and also just a chance to get to know others. Maybe you look around and say, I'm having a hard time being connected. Well, something like the women's dessert on the 27th would be a very good thing to attend. Um, we also have elder-led prayer. We've been doing this monthly. This will be Wednesday the 26th. We pray for our church family, specific needs. We pray for our region. We pray for our country and that God's will would be done uh, among his people. So we'd love to all are welcome. That is elder-led prayer Wednesday the 26th and youth you'll have your normal programming. Uh, college students, this is, you know, we have the home team and the away team kind of flowing uh, in and out to college, but Pastor Caleb would love to have kind of a touch point for all college students. And we don't, you know, some people say, well, if I'm a first year graduate student, does that count? Yes, that counts. So if you're in college age, you know, say 18 to 24 or something like that, please make note of the fellowship in Pastor Caleb's home. The Watsons have opened up their home second and fourth Tuesday evening. You can contact Pastor Caleb or any of us here um, on the staff. And that's uh, for you, just a, again, something fun to do this summer. 
The Providence Workday, Saturday, June 5th, a bit of a tradition. You say, even I participate, and you might not think I'm a great laborer, but I come out for the workday. So June 5th, uh, June 5th, uh, Saturday, 8.30 to noon, and we plant flowers around the grounds, do some general cleaning up. There'll be a sign-up sheet so we know which job we're signing up for, but again, something, a way to serve and a way to get to know other people. Providence Workday, Saturday, June 5th. Now, very exciting. Uh, if the families who are dedicating young ones today would come forward, uh, we would love, uh, love that uh, to see you up here. So we've done this at the 9 o'clock service, but we're one church family, so we'd like to introduce them to you. And as it would happen, that we're dedicating nine boys today. Say, so we need some little ladies, but we got the whole, in, uh, the whole baseball team coming up, uh, plus the Damster's older two boys, so 11 boys on the platform, which is tremendous. Uh, so I will um, lead us in this time. So what family commitment is, is we as members take on obligations, right? That's what a church is about, that we make promises to one another. And what we're doing here is we're charging these families, all of us together, to raise up our children uh, the way that God would want us to raise them up, that is, uh, to grow to mature believers in the Lord Jesus. And so I will read uh, the family commitment uh, to the families, and then there's a part for you to play as members as we, again, encourage each other to raise up the children of the church, to point them to Christ with all that we have. So parents, are you ready for the family commitment uh, here? The purpose of this service is to help you as parents fully embrace the sacred call to raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, in keeping with that purpose, will you now respond together in the following covenant? Do you now present your child before God in solemn dedication? Do you consecrate yourselves as parents to bring up your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Do you promise to instruct him in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the practice of prayer and to guide him in the development of Christ-like character? And do you promise to try, by God's grace, so to shape the home life of your child both by example and family devotions and by your word and conduct that at the proper time they will come to an open confession of Christ and membership in his church? Inasmuch as you have promised before God and his people to raise your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we charge you to set yourselves to that task by the grace of God. Now, if you're a member, a member of Providence Church, if you would please stand with me uh, for your role in this. Do you... The body of Christ promised to receive these children in love, to pray for them, to help instruct them in the faith, and encourage and sustain them in the fellowship of believers. We do, God helping us. Well done. The promises that we've made to one another to encourage these in the faith. You members may be seated, and I will pray for each one of these families if you would join me. Lord, we thank you here for the Carmen family. I thank you for Curtis and Lauren and bringing to them together in the covenant of marriage and these two precious little boys that you've gifted them. I thank you for Ellis Wayne and for Neam David. 
And fathers, we pray Colossians 3 over them, that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Father, I pray that for both of these young men, that they would seek the Lord Jesus, who's seated on high, that they would remember no matter what comes their way, that they're hidden in Christ, and that they would always set their minds on you, and even the things of the earth would grow strangely dim, and that you would use both of them to really bring great fame to your name. I thank you for the Carmen family, for Ellis, and for Neam. We commit them to you in Christ's name. Amen. And Lord, we thank you for the Damstra family. I thank you for Jeremy and Liz, who was here earlier, who had to leave. And I thank you for these older brothers, Harrison and Luke. But today we give you special thanks for Calvin J. And Lord, this verse that they chose, Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Lord, we pray this for Calvin J., that he would have a strong sense of your righteousness, that he would love kindness, and that he would submit to your will in his life. We thank you for this wonderful family and this little brother here, Calvin J. We commit the damstress to you in Christ's name. Amen. Next, we have the Garrett family. Lord, we thank you for Tyler and Katie. And like these other couples, we thank you for the gift of marriage and now a firstborn son, Lucas Robert. We thank you for him. What a good little guy he is. And this prayer from 1 Corinthians 13, that love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, even my prayers, and believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Father, I thank you for Lucas Robert. May your love flow through his life and be demonstrated in these actions. We do pray that he would be patient, and as you use his life, that many would be drawn to you. Commit Tyler and Katie to you. We thank you for this little guy, Lucas Robert, in Christ's name. Amen. And the Heater family, and this is Timothy the third, Timothy J. So we pray for you now, Heaters. Lord, I thank you for Timothy and Tara. And just I marvel that uh, Tara, the first baby born in Providence churches, they'd assemble and now to come full circle. Lord, that you are very good and so kind. We thank you for Timothy and Tara and just this family and Timothy J. the third. We thank you for his life, what a bright-eyed little guy he is. And we'd remind him to fan into flame the gift of God, as, as Paul would charge Timothy, that as the, 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 his believers and his family would lay on hands and encourage him in the faith, that he would be reminded that he has a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What a promise that is. We pray for Timothy J. that he wouldn't be intimidated or pushed around by anything in the world, but rather he'd be reminded that he doesn't need to be afraid, that he's got your strength by your spirit. We thank you for his life. Raise him up to be the man that you want him to be for Christ's sake. Amen. And the Ryan family, two boys here, Grace and Michael, the older brother, and Calvin John, the little brother. And I get to pray for you again, Ryan's. Is that okay? Oh. Lord, I thank you very much for Mike and Ava's beautiful young family. Again, for the gift of marriage and what you're, you're doing through them. Thank you for uh, just um, 
the strength that you've given them and now these two wonderful blessings. I pray for Grace and Michael, this prayer from 1 Peter 5, that we would humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time you would exalt us, that we can cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. What a powerful prayer that is, Lord, that so many things come up in the world, these anxieties and all the things that can trouble us. And I pray that Grace and Michael, all the days of his life, would cast his, his anxieties on you because you care for him so very much and that you would use this guy to do great things for you. And Lord, I thank you so much for Calvin John, Ephesians 4.32, that he would be mindful to be kind to the others, to be tenderhearted, to be forgiving, even as Christ has forgiven us. Again, that we'd be recognized that what you've done for us, and out of that there would flow this tenderheartedness and kindness, and that people would see in Calvin John what the world does not offer. I thank you for the Ryan family, for Grace and Michael, for Calvin John. Uh, Lord, we dedicate them to you in Christ's name. Amen. And the Thompson family. Hi, John Allen. Yes, good to see you. Oh, let's pray. Father, thank you for Trent and Mackenzie Thompson and their uh, marriage and for Ella, the older sister. And Lord, we pray for John Allen here in Psalm 91. Remind us that when you will hold us fast in love, that you will deliver him and protect him when he knows your name. And when he calls on you, that you will be with him in trouble and that you will rescue him and honor him. Lord, I pray that prayer over him today, that he would remember that, that as he knows your name and seeks you, that you will rescue him and protect him in the time of trouble. Lord, we commit John Allen to you, the Thompson family. We thank you for his life that he's fearfully and wonderfully made. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay. One more little guy, Oliver Simon. Oh, Lord, thank you very much for the Vanek family and this new blessing to them and to our church family, Oliver Simon. We pray Psalm 34.3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together that this new family of three would do just that, that as they interact, that your spirit would work in them and through them, that they would exalt your name together and that folks would be really drawn to the Lord Jesus through what they do in the Vanek family. We thank you again for Adam, for Morgan, for little Oliver Simon and we commit him to you in Christ's name. Father, for each one of these families, as they go forth in this place, may we again rely on you every step of the way. I pray that each one of these men would be elders in the church one day. We thank you for them. Commit them to you in Christ's name. Amen. Good job, everybody. <laughs> Church family, let's go ahead and stand together, praising our Father, praising His Son, and thankfulness to His Spirit. Without 
that sweet mercy I could not live here Sin would reduce me to utter despair But through that free goodness my spirits revive And He that first made me so keeps me alive That mercy is more than a match for my heart Wonders to feel its own hardness depart Dissolved by thy goodness I fall to the ground And we fall the praise of the mercy I've found Hallelujah A great father of mercies Thy goodness I own The covenant love that crucified Son, all praise to the Spirit, whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. All praise to the Spirit, whose whisper divine seals mercy and pardon and righteousness mine. Spirit of God's mercy, let's read from the saints of old who held firm to the trustworthy word as they were taught in the scriptures, and they documented confessions of their faith. And in this form is the Canons of Dort. This is the second doctrine on Christ's redemption for his people. So let's read this with joy together. God is not only supremely merciful, but also supremely just. This justice requires, as God has revealed in the word, that the sins we have committed against his infinite majesty be punished with both temporal and eternal punishments of soul as well as body. We cannot escape these punishments unless satisfaction is given to God's justice. Since, however, we ourselves cannot give this satisfaction, or deliver ourselves from God's wrath. God in boundless mercy has given us as a guarantee his only begotten son, who was made to be sin and a curse for us in our place on the cross in order that he might give satisfaction for us. This death of God's Son is the only and entirely complete sacrifice and satisfaction for our sins. It is of infinite value and worth, more than sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world. What a truth, that Jesus would satisfy God's wrath so that we might be satisfied in God. And so to that end, let's sing of the Lord, our mighty fortress. Yes. 
no thanks to them almighty the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us Thank you, Austin, for that gracious introduction earlier. I have been attending Providence since 2002 when we were at Parkside Middle School. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a patent attorney. I'll, I'll repeat that. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as a patent attorney. I am a follower of Jesus Christ first and foremost. Been married to Debbie for 34 years. We have two kids who have grown and flown, as they say. Debbie is visiting Becca in South Carolina right now or she'd be here with me. I fund my ministry and I help fund the ministry of others as a patent attorney. Paul made tents, I help people get patents. To be a patent attorney, you must either be an engineer or a scientist. So in addition to being an attorney, I have a degree in electrical engineering. For four years in the Air Force, I designed microprocessor-based instrumentation systems. Then I went to law school and crossed over to the dark side, so to speak. <laughs> I love being a patent attorney because I get to meet interesting people and they tell me their technical secrets. And yes, the rumors are true. I graduated from both the University of Michigan and the Ohio State University. <laughs> I, know, I know that attending U of M is close to being a disqualifying moral issue around here, but Austin and I talked about it and he assured me that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of transgressions. <laughs> I'm an Ohio boy. I was born in Columbus and I lived most of my life uh, near Lake Erie in North Central Ohio. My parents separated when I was eight and later divorced and remarried. Between my mom moving around and my dad moving around, I moved 13 times before leaving for college, although not all of those resulted in a change in school system. I attended the Amherst, Firelands, Huron, and Bay Village school systems. I went to three high schools. You can imagine, I was always the new kid. 
Although my dad was either an atheist or an agnostic, he loved to sing, so he took me to church as a kid. Back then, most churches had choirs with four-part harmony, so we went to church so dad could sing in the choir. I don't remember any of my early Sunday school teachers, but I bet they'd been praying for me. I did not come to Christ until much, much later, though. As a teenager, I even somehow made it through the United Methodist Confirmation class without knowing who Jesus was personally. I also had a quarter-life crisis when I was 22 that God helped me through, but I didn't come to Christ then. Circling back, I met Debbie at Michigan two days before the first day of class freshman year. We dated all through undergrad, and a few months before we graduated, we became engaged to be married. We spent another three years in the Air Force in Dayton, and then three years in law school at The Ohio State University in Columbus. And then in August in 1993, we moved to Bay Village and I started my career as an associate in a big downtown law firm. At this point, I considered myself to be a very spiritual person. I believed in God and I knew that Jesus lived and was crucified, but I never read my Bible. We only went to church on Christmas and Easter and I still didn't have a clue who Jesus was personally, why he was relevant to me. About nine months later, on May 17, 1994, the night our son Alex was born, we all had a very rough night. At times, I thought I would lose both Debbie and Alex. Alex finally came out during an emergency C-section. God finally had my attention. This little baby changes literally everything, I remember thinking. Seeing the, the dads up here put me, put me back in, in that spot. Um, knowing that I needed divine help that night, I prayed what turned out to be a very powerful prayer. God, make me the husband you'd have me be. Make me the father you'd have me be. Make me the man you would have me be. After praying that prayer, I started thinking a lot more about God. God had put me into super seeker mode. We started going to church, like you do. Just seemed like the right thing to do. That fall, I began a disciple Bible study at our new church. It's a one-year whirlwind tour of the whole Bible. Sometime late that fall in 94, I figured out why Jesus was relevant to me personally. I'm having lunch with a guy, Art Rice, ostensibly to talk about Bible studies downtown, and he asked me this question. Sean, a bus jumps the curb and hits us both on the way back from lunch, and we're standing in front of God, and God asks, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say if you were asked that question? Why should God let you into heaven? I remember my answer very well, perhaps because I was in transition then. I said, I know the answer to that one. Two years ago, I would say that I should be led into heaven because I was a good person, a moral man who would help little old ladies across the street. But I've been reading my Bible and I know that being a good person is definitely not good enough to get me into heaven. I continued, I don't understand how or why, but the right answer to your question is that I should be led into heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus forever changed the relationship between God and man. Well, Art Rice met with me and helped me understand the how and the why shortly thereafter through what scripture has to say about Jesus. In short, Jesus is the right answer to that question because he paid the price for my sins and all of your sins by dying on the cross. Jesus said he was God and did many amazing things. Father God put his seal of approval on Jesus by raising him from the dead. So I came to Christ when I was 30 years old. I definitely beat the odds. I changed when I put my trust in Christ about 27 years ago. Like many people with a personal relationship with Christ, I found peace and I found purpose among other things. As to peace, 
Jesus has many names in the Bible. Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God. My favorite is Prince of Peace. I found peace when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This is the peace that transcends all understanding. It is a peace that allows me, that allows all in Christ to say, all is well with my soul, no matter what comes our way. I can't imagine going through the last year, the pandemic, without Jesus. I can't imagine going through my mom's brain infection eight years ago without Jesus. My mom died last fall. As to purpose, being part of the body of Christ gives life purpose and meaning. Art Rice, the guy who discipled me, encouraged me to pay it forward. So I pay it forward, and that gives life meaning. I am active in one-on-one and small group Christian discipleship. Over the past 25 years, I've done Operation Timothy with about a dozen guys one-on-one. Operation Timothy is the name of the discipleship materials used by CBMC. I I met weekly or bi-weekly with guys for years. Some of my Timothys have Timothys who have Timothys. This is God's plan for multiplication. In addition, I've done Practical Christian Living, PCL, with 43 guys. PCL is 22-week group discipleship materials where guys learn what Christ-centered living looks like, affected by the Scripture and the Holy Spirit. In PCL, I'm also looking for a few faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. Most of the guys I've taken through PCL are from Providence. I see a lot of familiar faces. If you're interested, stay tuned. We hope to do PCL starting this September. Great material, great fellowship, and of course, Debbie's great cookies. Turning to the question of eldership, I am humbled by the request. I will say that the timing now feels right. We are in a good season. Debbie and I are empty nesters, and she supports both my discipleship ministry and me becoming an elder. Although my law practice is fairly demanding, I believe I will be able to have enough time to both continue my discipleship ministry and be an elder. One final thing, as I was prayerfully considering the offer to become an elder, I found this piece made by my daughter Becca when she was about 16 years old. It's a photo of Deb and me, along with the verses 2 Timothy 3, 3 3 through 7a, which are some of the main verses setting forth the qualifications of an elder. Becca made this for me. When she gave it to me those many years ago, she said, I was reading these verses and it hit me. Wow, that's my dad. I was humbled and treasured it away in my heart. Well, that's a little about me. If you have any questions, I'll be available after service. Continuing the service, Austin asked me to also lead corporate prayer and to read the scripture for today. Makes sense. I'm already up here, right? Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Lord, you are so worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Father God, thank you for making grace available, making grace an option. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the hit, paying the price, being the propitiation. Holy Spirit, thanks for being inside of us, trying to make us more like Jesus, putting up with all the stuff we do, all the junk we think about. Lord, we confess that we have not loved you with all our hearts and our minds and our souls and our strength. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to do better. Thank you for pouring out your blessings on us, Lord. Lord, thanks for getting us through the last year of the pandemic. Lord, it feels like light at the end of the tunnel with many of the restrictions soon to be lifted. Please give us all wisdom as we resume some semblance of normalcy. Help us in humility to count others more significant than ourselves. 
Help us look to the needs of others. Help us to remember and live out the one another verses that you gave us to relate to one another. Put on our hearts and minds people with whom we should spend time as we focus on the business of your kingdom, evangelizing pre-believers and edifying believers. We pray that this would be a time of revival with many people coming to Christ. Lord, who should we meet with in your name? Lord, we lift up those who are wounded or hurting or depressed or sick or otherwise in need of healing. Please pour out your healing mercy. Heal them as only you can, Lord. Lord, we specifically pray for strength and comfort for Christy and Dave Hooper and Lori and Kevin Connors and their families with respect to the recent passing of Christy and Lori's mom, Virginia. Thank you for the comfort for knowing she was a believer. Lord, we also lift up the Perkins family as Zach prepares for surgery later this month for cancer. Lord, give them your perfect peace in all this. Give the doctors skill. We pray for healing, Lord. Lord, we lift up Mike Smith's mom and her liver disease. Thank you that she is comfortable and at peace. Again, we boldly pray for healing, Lord. Lord, I lift up the worship candidate. This feels so right, Lord. Please put your will in our hearts. Give us a deep conviction one way or the other. Lord, we lift up the Vacation Bible School. Thank you for those so capably leading and also for the many volunteers. Lord, please draw people to you. Open your eyes, open their ears, open their hearts to you. We pray that many would be saved, reconciled to you through Christ, through VBS. Lord, I also lift up this Providence Strategic Partners. Do great things for your kingdom with them and through them. I specifically want to lift up ISM, Lord. We pray that many people would come to Christ through this ministry. In Jesus' precious and mighty name, amen. We are in Luke today. Please stand if you are able, out of respect for God's word. I will be reading from the ESV, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. A lamp under a jar. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so that those who meant may enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Jesus' mother and brothers. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You may be seated. Good morning. Wasn't it neat to see all those little babies up here? Yeah. Seemed like yesterday that uh, we were up here uh, dedicating our children. And um, with all three of our children, as soon as they were born, we would begin to sing them songs. And uh, one of the songs went like this. Okay, don't block your ears. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Come on, sing it. For kicking down in love, so be careful, little ears. Okay, okay, yeah. Some of you are thinking, uh, I'm glad Joe's not the worship pastor candidate. Uh, but we would sing them songs, and we would sing them songs like this. And we knew 
as infants and little babies, they didn't have a clue of what the song meant. But we also knew that as they would grow older, that we can steer conversations with them about being careful about the things that they're listening to. All the messages and the voices that we be vying for their attention. We talk to them about how to bring glory to God with their life and the decisions that they make and what they're learning at church, what they're learning from us uh, about God's word. We teach them to learn from our mistakes or other people's mistakes, their friends' mistakes. And then somewhere in the late adolescent years, okay, for those of you who are adolescent, man, learn from our mistakes. Uh, or maybe you're uh, a parent and you've been through this conversation before, but somewhere around the adolescent years all the way through high school, uh, here's how they would respond to these conversations that we would talk to them about, the things that they were hearing or things that they should be learning. And we would say something and they would, they would reply like, I know, Mom. I know, Dad. You don't have to tell me all the time to do such and such. And then when they would go out and do the very thing that we talk about, We'd sit down and say, well, why'd you do that? And they'd go, I don't know. I don't know. You don't know? What do you mean you don't know? But here's something interesting that we would also do. We would sit down and we'd continue to break down and unpack why they did what they did. And we would always come to some point and discover that somewhere along the line, they began to listen to some other voices. And of course, only children listen to other voices. And so last week, we discovered that it's quite possible to hear someone without listening to them. And this is very clear uh, in the grammar of the original language from chapter 8, verse 8, that Austin taught us last week. As Jesus is finishing the parable of the sower, seed, and soil, saying, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Basically, he's saying, hey, look, you have ears. It's possible to hear things, but I want you to listen. He who has ears, listen. Now, the disciples know Jesus well enough to know that he's not just giving them uh, an agricultural lesson. Uh, they knew him well enough to know that he's teaching something about God, something about life, but they didn't quite understand themselves. And so in verse 9, what do they do? They asked Jesus, hey, can you kind of explain what the parable meant? And so basically Jesus responds by saying, I'm the sower, the seed is my word, and you, people, you're the soil. And, and, and if you stop long enough to think about soil, soil is kind of a passive thing. But Jesus is teaching a parable here, and he is personifying soil and potential of soil. This is not a story about how to get out of being soil. We are soil. And the type of soil that we become in the story is in large part our decision in what we will listen to. All the things, all the noise, all the teachings, everything that's thrown at us every day, like a fire hose. What we become in our soil will be the things that we ultimately will bend our ear to and listen. And so as Jesus is wrapping up his explanation to the parable, he ends with a description of good soil. And he says, here's the good soil. 
These are the people who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast and are honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It's not enough just to have ears on the side of your head. Everyone has them. But there's another kind of ear that people could develop, and those ears can learn to hear and then are, would be able to listen and to respond to what Jesus is teaching. And then we come to our passage. And so you're, you're sitting there after Sean has just read it, and you might be even tempted to ask, what in the world is Jesus talking about? Is he giving us another parable? Is he continuing his discussion on hearing and listening? Or is he shifting to a whole other subject altogether, like maybe evangelism, outreach, missions? And what in the world is he talking about as mothers and brothers? How does this all fit in? Well, real quickly, first, he is not giving another parable. Actually, he's given us a proverb as a further understanding of his um, teaching and explanation on the sower, seed, and soil. He is also expanding on the description of the nature of soil, our nature, as people creating the image of God and our capacity to hear and listen and respond. So he's given this further description on the nature of soil and the importance of listening in that process. And so with the remaining time that we have, I want to walk through just some theological observations from the verses that we just read about soil so that we can be careful with our ears with what we hear. And here's the first observation. Everyone will eventually choose to listen to something. Jesus said in verse 18, you know, it's a command, take care then how you hear. And, and this command is really kind of the other bookend, if you will, to verse 8. Verse 8, verse 18. And again, remember what verse he said in verse 8. It's like that situation Austin described last week that I routinely get involved in. It's possibly to hear and not listen. Like when I'm sitting at the table fiddling around and Becky's talking to me and she's realizing I'm fiddling around and she's, she raises her voice a little bit and she says, Joe, you're hearing me, but you're not listening. That's verse 8. He's, then he moves to verse 18, the other book, and then he begins to teach us the truth about the other end of the listening spectrum. And that is whether we like it or not, as humans creating the image of God, sooner or later, every single person will listen to some philosophy of life as the basis of their life. Everyone eventually listens to something that will be the basis of their worldview. With all the voices vying for our ears, something will pique our curiosity and will bend our ear and begin to intently listen. No one gets to the end of their life without listening to something. And, and if you return to the parable again, every soil Jesus described decided to listen to something. And this is a fundamental characteristic of soil. Sure, we're going to have our moments of attention deficit, right? Some more than others, right? Any, any, uh, any confessions here? That's me. Yeah, there'll be those moments. But sooner or later, something's going to get my focused attention. Like my kids. 
At some point in their life, after listening to us as parents, something was grabbing their attention. They decided, you know what? I'm, I'm adult now. I'm going to turn down the volume of all the stuff that I heard from my parents. And I'm going to turn up a little bit volume over here to what I'm hearing at school or my friends or my friends' parents or, or whatever they may be listening to or reading. The pair of the sower is really about navigating through all these worldviews that are thrown at us and are presented to us and then deciding which one that I'm going to choose for my life. No one goes through life without making a choice. And, and the question is, who and what am I listening to? In our parable, are we listening to alternatives or are we listening to what Jesus desires? Him. And it leads me to my second ob observation. Our life will reflect what we're listening to. We don't get out of this one. It's just about how, who we are. It's the nature of soil. When Jesus said, look, no one in their right mind, after listening to a lamp, covers it with a jar and puts it under a bed. But what do they do? What do we do? We put it on a stand so that those who may enter the room may see it. Basically, he's teaching the important principle, and the principle is, what I listen to most will be the light of my life. What I listen to most will be the light of my life. And it's going to be obvious to everyone in the room, because what gets my focused attention will light up the room. What I listen to will become the core of what I'm passionate about. And everyone around me will get a heavy dose of that, which is important to me. And you see this in young people, uh, specifically young people who have grown up in the church and who are going off to college or on their own. Uh, Dawn shared a, uh, a quote from something that she was reading uh, this last week, and it was a statistic. And the statistic was somewhere around 70% of them leave that which what they learned in their family, uh, in the church context, they leave that and they listen to something else. They leave the thing, parents, that we, we build in their life. And then they get inundated with all the other voices. That's why, uh, just an encouragement to those of you who are uh, parents of adults, stay at it, stay at it, call them on the phone, talk to them, ask them about what they're learning. Is there anything different that you're learning from what you were brought up? It's okay to ask that question. Process that, process that with them because they're going to get all kinds of stuff. And if we don't help them break down what they're listening to, they're going to turn that volume up and up and up. I mean, you know what? Before you know it, that's what they're going to be passionate about. It could take a lot of prayer too. But no one listens to something without passing it on to someone else. It's just who we are. It doesn't take long into a relationship to see this. Let's pick on myself for a moment. For those who know me, or maybe even getting to know me, what typically shines during the day from my life. Sometimes I wear it on my body. That which I enjoy doing. I like riding and taking a nice motorcycle ride. And I, wear, I proudly wear my Harley-Davidson gear. I'm a Harley. 
I talk about camping a lot. I love camping. I like hiking. I like going out places where grizzly bear roam. Passionate about that. But is that really what I want? To shine for my life? You know, and it's not necessarily about the places that we go or the labels and brands that we wear on our body. It's what others, what I want others to think about me, about the places where I go and the things that I wear. That's what I show. That's important. It's one of the soils, the cares of this world, and the worldview. Am I embracing that? How many of you are on Facebook? Anybody on Facebook? Right? You have friends? Do you have a friend? How many of your friends that you know exactly what's important, what they're passionate about, and what they believe? And my guess is a reflection of things that they just listen to and they're just passing it on. And this is very convicting stuff to be truthful to you. This thing that ultimately people see in my life is a reflection of what I'm listening to. And is this an indication of a disproportionate amount of me listening to the pleasure of this world versus God's word? Am I listening to Jesus more? Or am I listening to what I get out there? What people tell me what I should wear and what I should do and where I should go? Ultimately, what Jesus describes and desires from the good soil is to reflect his sanctifying work that what happens and comes about by the listening of his word so that we can bring glory to him. And the question we need to be asking ourselves is, what am I listening to most? What gets my time? What do I read the most? What do I let in to my life? The sad fact is sometimes I, have to, I don't have to venture too far from the mirror to get the answer to that question or listen to what I talk about most that demonstrates what's really important to me. The parable of the sower is really a story about navigating through all the worldviews that are presented to not only children, but to us as adults as well. And after we bend an ear to them, we'll become the, what dri the driving force of our passions. And that leads me to the next uh, observation. And that is what we listen to most will ultimately, will ultimately be what we believe. You know, most of the time, it's now it's up here, but now it's getting down to the core of our soul, our hearts. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, teaches us an important principle about listening. Some of you have it memorized. What does it say? Faith comes by hearing. Just look at the soil again uh, in the parable. The soil, or the seed, uh, on the rock believed in Jesus' word with joy. But, 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 but when hard times came, they listened to an alternative to what Jesus taught. And, and this is so easy and so enticing when you're going through a hard time. There's so, there's so many voices out there. Five ways to get out of depression. Six easy steps to raise straight-A students so they can go to Harvard. All these steps, except with Jesus, moving away from what he taught. How about the thorny soil? They heard their word, but, 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 but began to listen to cares and pleasure of this world. How about the good soil? 
It's those who listen to the word and hold fast and came to believe it and bear fruit with patience. They believe something. What we listen to will ultimately become what we believe in our soul. And Jesus is really kind of, it's interesting, kind of dangling a carrot here um, uh, to those who may be listening. I mean, who doesn't want to be the good soil after Jesus gets to the end of this? Yeah, I mean, to have a productive life and be patient? I mean, who doesn't want that? And, and, and the truth is, this is a very subtle process. No one gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I want to begin to choke my life today so that I'm a miserable wreck three years from now. So give me some junk to read so that I can make my life miserable and everybody around me in the future. No one plans on that. It just happens so subtly, so subtly. So it's important, this is important. Our ears are the gateway to our soul. What we listen to will eventually consume our time, talents, and resources. But what's even more significant, it'll become what we believe. And what we believe, we ultimately worship. And that's a big deal in what God's trying to accomplish in us. This is why Jesus gives us a warning. He says, hey, look. My word's going to expose that and illuminate that, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. And for those who follow Jesus and listen to his word, that is a good thing. That is a great thing, because you're becoming more like his son. His word will be sanctifying our lives, tilling the soil, which leads us to the last observation. What we believe will determine what we do. What we do. And the things that we do will reflect the type of soil that we are or the family that we belong to. When Jesus said, this is the reason, when Jesus talks about, uh, hey, your, your mother and your brother are here and they, they can't get through because the crowd's so large. And, and basically, they want Jesus to say, oh, part, part the human wall. He doesn't say that. And he's not throwing his, parent, or his mom and his brothers under the bus when he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. He's just solidifying the truth that he's trying to teach. His family was really important to him. His mom was really important. And we know that from the scriptures um, that we will continue to read. But he's kind of basically saying here, hey, look, blood is thicker than water. Blood is thicker than water. And how we normally understand blood is thicker than water is usually what? That my family is my family. You cross me, I'm going to call my cousin Vito. Right? It's my family. And friends are, there's just water. Well, there's an alternative understanding to this. And that is what Jesus is saying is that the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Jesus is saying that the bonds that we make with each other the bonds that Jesus will make with us by shedding his blood and dying on the cross, that when we choose to follow him, that blood is thicker than the water of the womb. He's beginning to introduce the concept of the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's significantly important to him and what he's trying to accomplish in us individually, but also corporately as the church. Will we be that family? Do we look at each other as our family? Do we get up on Sunday morning and say, man, I can't wait to be with the family? 
Or do we look at ourselves as individuals occupying chairs and then we go home to our separate ways? Or do we look at each other and say, here's my brother. He's my brother. And on the merits of Jesus dying on the cross and providing grace to me to come to know his son, he's my brother because he's done the same thing. Now, we, we need a, a lot of work in talking about this, but that's what it means to follow Christ together. And it, it, I don't think it's a coincidence, too, that later on as his brother, James, writes something very significant in the book that he wrote, James, in the first chapter. What does he say? I think he's maybe thinking back to this. I remember Jesus teaching this about listening. And he says to the church, plural, as we look at each other, hey, you know what? Let's not just be hearers only. Let's be doers. And so this whole passage just sways downhill. It starts with, I have the capacity to hear, but not listen. But I will choose something that I listen to. And that's going to be an indication of the family that I belong to and what I do with them. And you don't want to get too far in reading, continuing reading the, the, the author Luke here as he expands on this, this, this journey of the church uh, when he writes the book of Acts. It's all about what they did as a family. People from the outside were calling them names like Christian because they were crazy. I mean, they're doing things together. They're looking at their stuff and saying, yeah, you, you have a need here, here it is. They're, they're looking at these people and they're like, they're getting beat up. They're being bullied. Some of them are dying for their faith. Those people are crazy. They're Christians. They cease to stop being the family because blood is thicker than water. Will we be that family? Will we listen enough corporately together to encourage and stimulate each other to do to do good works, as the writer Hebrews says, to be the church, to follow Christ together. Help us encourage each other to not just hear, but listen and then do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this story that really is a story about Jesus and it's grace that he offers for us to be brought into his family and Lord, we pray that we'd be hearers, but we would also listen and that we'd be doers. Help us to look at each other as brothers and sisters in your family for the purposes of your kingdom and for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Christ, it's our own now Where evil lies in wait When trials and persecutions come This light will never fade For though the hordes of hell may rage Their power will not endure Our times are in the Father's hand Our anchor is secure Paul writing to the family in the in, uh, city of Rome, uh, his last words uh, to them. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday.